According to his LinkedIn profile, my next guest has spent the last four to five years hurting elementary school-aged children through their first steps in house league soccer, ball hockey, and ice hockey. In 2015, he was named Sports Writer of the Year by Sports Media Canada. And in 2016, he joined The Athletic to help build, lead, and grow its Toronto operations. This past spring, Penguin Random House published his book, Before the Lights Go Out, A Season Inside a Game Worth Saving. Please welcome to the show the senior national writer for Canada for The Athletic, Sean Fitzgerald. Welcome. Thank you. I was waiting for the applause line. That was one hell of an introduction. I don't know whose LinkedIn page. <laughs> we're going to put the applause in afterwards. Okay. That'll be a post. I don't know whose Probably. LinkedIn page that is, but damn, that sounds good. Who when is it's that? Really impressive. It's not mine. That's sure not, as hell not mine. Oh, dude, wrong, wrong shit. Yeah, no, that 2015, that was a sports writer for the year. I was, uh, I was laid off shortly thereafter oh, from the Toronto Star. I should have read the fine print before I ex- accepted that award. <laughs> That you were at where the Globe and Mail? No, I was at the Toronto Star. It's the Toronto Star. And, and uh, yeah, I was there. I won the award. And I think within nine months, they laid me off. So Because your yeah, pay was going to go like... Well, you got to read the fine print. I mean, it looks great. It's, you think it's Sports Writer of the Year, but no, Sports Writer for the Year. For the Year. For the <laughs> it's year. for the Year. It's sad. It's a really sad story. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> we're taping this literally the day after. Well, it's been a slow news week. It has. So it's November the 12th, to give people context of when we're recording this. This will probably go up on Monday the 18th. But, um, but Sean, I mean, you're the, you're the hockey expert in the room here. What happened on the eighth, the weekend of the 9th in, in hockey <laughs> and, and, and the big, you know, the fervor that happened on Monday and then all of a sudden here we are on Tuesday. And the hockey world in Canada... Or the NHL world in Canada has has turned, has changed. Wow, you're really you're know. really taking Mitch Marner's ankle injury to heart, aren't you? <laughs> that's the, that's the most dramatic thing I've ever heard. He's only gone for four weeks. Really? By the time this goes up, he'll be back in three weeks. It's okay. It'll be okay. It will. It, this was the year. Yeah. Let's put the mics down. We're all going for a hug here. It's okay, fine. Here we exactly. go. Yeah. No, I mean. You people love, you, you that come here, whatever it is, you love our way of life, you love our milk and honey, at least you can pay a couple of bucks for poppies or something like that. These guys pay for your way of life that you enjoy in Canada. These guys pay the, uh, the biggest price. Don Cherry, I mean, who knows, by the time this goes out, maybe he has another job somewhere. But no, I mean, Don Cherry lost his job. And that sounds surprising. Only because how many times has it been said that Don Cherry's got to lose his job over this, yeah. mm-hmm. over the 40 years? Like he's, I mean, you name a group, he's probably angered them, yeah. insulted them, uh, borderline slandered them. Um, and he said it a lot. And he hasn't been apologetic, generally speaking. But there's always been a way for him to stay on the air. And, and this time, this time he hurt people. And this time, this was a controversy he couldn't overcome. I thought it was interesting because I heard you on Metro Morning this morning talk about that hurt. And it was actually when, when I mentioned to my wife that we were getting together today. She's like, oh, well, Sean was on Metro Morning this morning. She goes, I don't know if you want to listen to it before or not. I said, yeah, I'll give it a listen. And the, the hurt was what really like was interesting because he said a lot of mean stuff before. But I know when I woke up Sunday morning, it was like, there's something very different about this. And it wasn't hurtful to me, but it was hurtful to a lot of my friends. Yeah, no. I mean, my wife was born in Mumbai. Um, She moved to Canada when she was 10. Um, And she was storming mad about this. Um, Because, I mean, I was working over the weekend, and, you know, we have two children, an eight-year-old and a four-year-old. And like she said, I had to have a discussion about racism with our eldest. Hmm. Um, which, you know, might be a couple years ahead of schedule. Yeah. Um, but like when you other people like that, and that's what he did, let's be clear. Yeah. Um, he's not talking about me. He's not talking about you. Um, he othered people by saying, you people, you come here, you enjoy our way of life, our land of milk and honey. Uh, and, and he compares it to the small towns where everybody wears poppies. And he's talking about Mississauga in downtown Toronto. It's pretty clear who he's talking about. Yeah. And by othering them in that context, especially leading up to Remembrance Day, it really raises the issue of 
what it is to be Canadian and feel Canadian. And that's just, that's just a rotten thing. Well, and, and not to get too technical about yeah, using no, the word rotten. Yeah, course, but. but it's funny. Not funny. Funny is not the right way to put it. What I find really interesting is everybody's focusing on you people. Even the hashtag, right, was trending yesterday or whatever. You people. To me, it was what came immediately after in his diatribe, which was they come here. So any Don Cherry apologize not even apologizers supporters everything else they're all on twitter and they're saying oh you don't know he didn't mean he all he said was you people he could have meant you people from sudbury you but when i point out he said they come here that's very different in 1990 don cherry was profiled by the fifth estate which is a journalistic program uh, the cbc long running um and the reporter followed him to his house showed him playing with his dog uh showed him washing his car um, you know, showed him picking his suits, um, and then showed him speaking to a room of contractors who'd paid $5,000 a table in 1990 money, which seems like it'd be a lot. Um, and up on the stage, uh, he was shown lamenting the fact, and this is 1990, that $6 million uh, was going back to Russia that season mm -hmm. after the Russians, who were still relatively new to the league, were taking their money home. And the implication there was that that money belonged in the pockets of good, hardworking Canadians. So after that clip was shown, and I'm going to paraphrase here, the reporter asked Don, you know, what were you talking about? And he's like, well, I'm speaking to the people who are in this room drinking beer and who are sick and tired of the foreigners coming here and taking our jobs. So, you know, given the body of work and the fact that <laughs> what was said Saturday didn't come out of left field, yeah, yeah no, benefit of the doubt goes out the window. Yeah. What your your this relates to your book as I was reading your book and as this happened I go I can't believe that this is all happening at once and you're going to come into the studio and we're going to chat all about this um, and I'll be honest with you I'm about halfway through your book right now um, do you you can check you can see <laughs> Hold on one page so I'm just going to open I up thought, the book I, here. I thought it was marked for a reading yeah, later no, uh, I so it's before the lights go out uh, yeah. Penguin Random House. <laughs> One was that 139? 139. 139. How many pages are in the book here? <laughs> I'm there surprised you have to look. 292. Wait, you pages. have to, you can't. Okay, you can choose that. But is that your that's your four? That's your that's your acknowledgements. That doesn't. Yeah, count. no, that's important. A lot of people <laughs> help me get through this. So, I haven't. I'm not real good at math. Is that halfway? That's halfway. Is it? It's Give or take. There. Like I didn't. Like <laughs> I'm gonna. Get my so as I was saying, I've read your whole book. Whole book. <laughs> that, was, uh, that was a great way to get out of the fact that you are not 50% of the way through. Where are you? What is this? This is, this is the title page. What are you? <laughs> I'm holding it up. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. But I'm, I'm curious. The important thing is you paid full price for a copy of this book at a bookstore, correct? Oh, my God. So oh. <laughs> I'm just going to hang up and listen to the rest of this interview. <laughs> I say good day to you, sir. Thank you. Beautiful day. <laughs> um, where was I? Okay, Don Cherry. Um, as you were writing this, I mean, you talk a lot, obviously, about the, um, the Peterborough Pete's. We'll get into the book. Talk a, a lot about the Peterborough Pete's. You talk a lot about the people in and around Peterborough. Um, and I'm curious whether sort of media came into this in terms of the growth or the lack thereof of growth, whether you talked about media, Don Cherry specifically, or generally about how hockey is covered in Canada? That's a really interesting question. I don't know how much battery power you have in your recorder, because <laughs> that can go a long way. Um, so let's separate Don Cherry from this for a okay, second. Okay, sure. Let's talk about the power of media. Um, it's often assumed, I think, that, that media drives consumer interest. And I don't have any quantifiable data to say, and I'm, talking, I'm not talking advertising, I'm not talking about campaigns, I'm mm -hmm. talking like journalisting, mm -hmm. um, that it drives interest. Um, that you know, if you don't cover this sport, then this sport's not going to grow, it's not going to flourish. So that's, that's, let's unpack that claim first. Sure. Um, when I started in journalism 130 years ago, um, I covered the Canadian Football League. That was my beat covered the Toronto Argonauts for the National Post. So back then, you would go to the, the, the circadian rhythm of a, of a CFL game week is 
you know, the first day of the week, players are there kind of stretching because they're in pain and light practice. And you build up to the point where the day before the game, all the media comes in, right? So um, you go in and back in 2001, 2002, uh, you would have myself and a columnist from National Post. You would have a journalist, uh, like a reporter, and another columnist from The Globe. You might have a columnist and a reporter from the Toronto Star. You might have two reporters and a columnist from the Toronto Sun. So those are just the newspapers. Mm -hmm. Then you had the Canadian press. Then you had TSN. You had a camera from The Score. You had a camera from Sportsnet. You had a camera from CTV National, CTV Local, CBC National, CBC Local. CHTV would come in. You had AM640. You had AM680. You had the team. Um, you had the fan. Um, you had CFRB 1010. So you had, like, we're talking dozens of people yeah. covering the Toronto Argonauts the day before a game. What happened in 2003? The Toronto Argonauts went bankrupt because nobody cared to come out and watch them. Mm -hmm. You've never had more media covering any team than cover the Toronto Argonauts. And they couldn't fill that building. The media couldn't. Hmm. You, couldn't you couldn't fall over and not trip into mention of what the Argos are doing, whether or not you gave a crap about the Toronto Argonauts in this city. They were blanketed. Nobody came out. Team went bankrupt. Today, you can go to an Argos practice on a random day of the week. The Toronto Sun will very likely still have somebody there, and that's it. Hmm. And guess what? Attendance is it's down, but just marginally, and you can't pin that on media. So you have media that was there that was blanketing the Toronto Argonauts, just like they would the Toronto Maple Leafs, and they went bankrupt. Hmm. So I don't, I don't equate media attention necessarily with the health of a product. Because on the flip side, you had the Toronto Rock at the same time hmm. who were covered by one reporter from the Toronto Star. They had to buy their own time on Sportsnet to get the games on TV, and they were filling Air Canada Centre every week. Yeah. So explain that. How does that happen? So maybe not the quantity of coverage, but the, the type of coverage. I don't know if quality... That's not really or... accusatory. I'm sorry about that. I'm just like... That's okay. I've had this no. discussion over, <laughs> over many, many pints. Well, because yeah. you read two pages of my book. <laughs> <laughs> and one of them was the cover. Um, no, no, no. Like, like it's, it's an interesting argument, and I've had it various levels of sobriety over many, many barroom tables. Yeah. Um, but I, I really don't think the media drives the bus here. Hmm. People do. People make their own decisions. You know what I think is a good example of that? I know you're going to be surprised that I bring this up after mm. you tagging me on a NASCAR thing today. On you're Instagram. like racing. I don't, okay, we'll get there. But anyway, is IndyCar. I mean, the decline, you know, Formula One has the package. Formula One has put together the package, which is media, but it's also fan-based. And IndyCar, no matter what they threw at it, no matter how much they bought, I'm, hopefully I'm backing up your point from the perspective of they threw everything at it and people just didn't watch it anymore. See, that's interesting because you're shifting now the onus on the companies themselves. So IndyCar, um, I mean, used to run the hugely successful uh, Molson Indy yeah. here. Um, it, was a, it was a spectacle. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Hundreds of thousands of people yeah. on a week. It was one of the best attended in the entire circuit. IndyCar has, over the last couple of decades, undergone a massive series of changes at the ownership level. There's yep. rancor, there's yep. change, there's inconsistency, there's losing drivers. They went from very closely, arguably, to the number two open wheel racing series yep. on the planet yep. to now basically being arena football. Yeah, 100%. And is that the media? No, that's because they couldn't get out of the way of their own shoes. Yeah. I would argue, and that helped yeah. the decline. The Argos and the CFL in this city are much the same way. That you know, we're all very young men here, except for you. You just said you're 75. Is 75. That? 75 years old. Congratulations. <laughs> yes, thank and your hair is 25. Thank you. Amazing. Um, no, but like, so like the Argos and the CFL yeah. used to blackout games. So everybody in this room, I'm 43. That's right. I'm 43. Yeah. I am a lost part of a lost generation. We are because yeah. the games weren't on TV when we were kids. If they didn't sell out, the Argos have tried gimmicks. They had, I mean, in 2001, 2002, one of those two years, um, they, they thought the great thing that was going to get people to come down the Sky Dome was pregame wet t-shirt contest <laughs> featuring adult performers from a nearby uh, gentleman's club. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And the league had to say, well, no, no, stop that. <laughs> Go away. But they still had bikini contests. Like, that's what they thought marketing yeah. was. Yeah. And guess what happened? family stopped going you got a whole bunch of dudes who would have tall boys and act really 
obscenely in the parking lot before yeah. the game, but there was two dozen of them and no families went because that's the message you're sending. So all the media coverage in the world isn't going to reverse incompetence mm -hmm. at that level. And I think that, you know, to your point, um, media doesn't drive the bus in terms of consumption. Now, Don Cherry is a separate thing yeah. in that Don Cherry is part of a gigantic media platform mm -hmm. with the CBC and his constituency is enormous with Coach's Corner. So is he driving interest to the NHL? I mean, I'm not going to get into that because I don't have any hard data, but the, the influence he had wasn't on driving people to the game, but how people viewed the game within a certain context. The, mm -hmm. You know, you got to dress a certain way if you're going to be a hockey player. Mm -hmm. You got to get pucks in deep. You got to dump and chase. You got to punch people in the face every now and again. You got to play the right Canadian way. Like that, over the course of four decades, was like a, like a, a metronome, back and forth, back and forth, punch people in the face, back and forth. And eventually that shaped habits. And that mm -hmm. was the reach. That, that helped shape the narrative for so many people of what good Canadian hockey was. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What's the impact now that he's gone? And I think, I don't know if in a couple of weeks we'll continue to lament the uh, the passing of the Don Cherry era of Hockey Night in Canada. But in a few weeks, a few months, maybe next year, however long that's going to take, um, what is watching Hockey Night in Canada, do you feel, going to be like? That's a really interesting question. Um, what do you do? So I think there's there's probably a couple avenues. Maybe let's, let's go with three avenues. Yeah. Um, one is you maintain Coach's Corner and fill the seat next to Ron McLean. And I think most people would say, well, that's Brian Burke. Brian Burke, yeah. I mean, he's a, a seasoned NHL executive. Under contract. Uh, he's under contract just for this season. Yeah, but um, Under contract, has family in Toronto, so he might mm -hmm. be willing to stay. Uh, also, and in, in critically, entertaining, loquacious, mm -hmm. and not shy of sharing his opinion. <laughs> Challenge there is, um, he's also, you know, from the United States. Um, and you're coming in after Don Cherry. So even if you have a huge fan base, you're coming in after Don Cherry, immediately after Don Cherry. I think that that's probably a setup to fail. You can't come in and be like, I'm the new coach in Coach's Corner. Mm -hmm. um, so then what do you do next? If you, can't, if you can't redo Coach's Corner, maybe for the rest of this season or up into the playoffs, um, you scrap it all together. Sure. And you have Ron McLean um, anchoring an intermission panel with Elliot Friedman, Chris Johnson, and somebody else where they, they break down highlights or talk about the game a little bit more than they would. Or option three, which requires some audacity, and I don't know if it's, it's real possible right now given where we are in the calendar, um, you blow the whole thing up and really reinvent Hockey Night, which has is, which is kind of followed the same formula for their intermissions mm -hmm. um, for the time that all three of us at this table have been on this earth. Um, so you reinvent that and you find a way to bring new people into the game, new people to the table. Does Strombo get a call again? Uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but the funny thing is, you say that. I mean, because uh, that's what whether, they tried whether doing it's for Coach's Corner or not. I've heard Strombo's name got dropped today. Haley's, Cassie's, like it, you know, and it's more from what do you do? To do you blow it up and just I don't know. Yeah. Well, I mean, Haley Wickenheiser's employed by the Toronto Maple Leafs. Yeah. Um, Cassie Campbell. Pascal would be a really good choice um, to, to bring in, to offer her insight. She's a fabulously uh, knowledgeable voice who's been at hockey at every level. She and her family are based in Calgary, so travel concerns and commuting could be a bit of a thing. That sure. I mean, I have two young kids, and I, I, mean, I spent three years writing this book, and I missed a lot of weekends over those three years. Three and, years, did you hear that? Three years he spent on this book. Yeah. Yeah. Three years and on the book. two pages in. <laughs> Yeah, so yeah, no, you'll finish it in three years. You'll know my pain. <laughs> you'll know my pain. By the end of this, you'll know my pain. But she'd be great. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, like, how do you reimagine it? And I don't think you can do it while you're in the middle of a season. But it's something to think about that you know for next season, Sportsnet still has what six or seven years left after this of their exclusive NHL rights deal, that five point two billion dollar deal. There's still time to reinvent this. Uh, it'll take some it'll take some some cunning some audacity but but you could do it but i think those are the three options right now and it's it, it's funny because i was thinking about that just now as you were saying that thinking yeah but uh, you know what i felt that same way about and cbc with cbc switched up the national 
honest to God, going into this year with the National, this season with the National, I thought, there's no way I'm going to like this format. I can't imagine four people that are going to swap in and out, and and it works. So Interesting. I, I mean, I'm... I'm Again, I know this is off topic in terms of sports, but just repackaging it, right? They did a great job with that. So maybe maybe there is an opportunity. Yeah. No, I, I think it, But it's sports now, but anyway. Yeah, yeah no, but, it'll take some some ingenuity. Um, it'll take some creative thinking. Yeah. Um, I certainly don't have the answers for what it could look like. Um, but I think that, you know, I don't think that you can go right back into Coach's Corner. Now, of course, this is coming out after maybe there's the first Coach's Corner two days ago by the time this goes up. But I, I don't think that would be the avenue that they'd want to pursue. And I don't think they have time to redo the whole thing. So my guess is for the rest of the season, they probably go with a panel type thing and then reevaluate at the end of the year. Yeah, interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we all agree that it was time for him to go. I, I, and for me personally, I thought it was time for him to go many, many Many years ago. I stopped watching mid-90s. Yeah, yeah. Late, late wow. 90s. Well, yeah. I mean, it was back when the Leafs were doing well, and I remember all my buds would show up in my apartment with a big bag of chicken and go make some vindaloo, and they brought a case of beer over, and we'd sit, and it was like, you know, 94, 93, 90, whatever. And, like, we were right into it, and we loved it. And then I just felt his shtick got old for yeah. me. So, yeah, I agree. Sorry. Sean, when you started writing this three years ago, four years ago. Three years ago, yeah. Did you know you wanted to write about hockey's decline and what, how to save it? Or were you going in to write about the Peterborough Peets? What was this book before it was completed? This book was a puddle of my tears as I was trying to figure <laughs> out what the hell I'm going to do. Because I've never done anything like this and I can't believe Penguin Random House trusted me to do something like this. You went to them? They, they came to you? How did no, you? No. Uh, oh, so this is a story. Um, yeah. So this is... August 2016. We'll take you back to August 2016 when we were all young and beautiful and your hair was still remarkable. <laughs> um, so I was playing shinny with friends at what, is, uh, what was once known as Maple Leaf Gardens, Madame Athletic Center. Oh, yeah. And you're playing shinny, so I got a helmet, I got gloves, I got skates. You're just out there playing. Um, one thing you don't have is elbow pads. And because the, the universe thought I was due, uh, I fell on the ice and landed on my right elbow. And it was right by the blue line and it felt immediately like driving your elbow into a bowl of dried Cheerios, just like crunch, 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 crunch. And I'm like, oh, that's not good. Mm. So I shattered my right elbow, shattered, shattered, shattered immediately. And I had surgery, luckily, at uh, East General, now Matthew Guerin Hospital, on the Sunday. And I was discharged on Monday. So I was home with a fresh new bottle of Percocet to help numb that pain, and <laughs> it was painful. And on Tuesday, I was downstairs in the basement watching uh, the Johnny Depp movie Black Mass, Mm-hmm. Uh, I still haven't seen the end of it um, <laughs> because the Toronto Star called me in the middle of the movie while I was on Percocet recovering from a shattered elbow to lay me off. Uh, I was laid off. They, they underwent a, a significant cost cutting and I was caught up in it because I'd only been in there for about nine months. So I was at the bottom of the union scale. Um, so I was sort of on my butt for three, four weeks recovering. And um, in September, I get an email um, you know, I'm in physiotherapy for the elbow. The Percocet is in the garbage. And uh, a friend, Jordan Ginsburg, I'd worked with at the Post, is now at uh, McClellan Stewart, said, how'd you like to go for a beer? I'm like, well, so it turns out, one, I like beer. <laughs> Two, I got a lot of free time. And we went to a bar on King West, and I had no idea. Like, again, like, I, I had never talked about writing a book. Um, and sat down, and he's like, I have an idea that, Hockey's changing, and wouldn't it be neat if we could find a way to take a snapshot of what hockey is in Canada at this point in the 21st century, 2016, 2018, 2019? And how do we do that? So over the course of a a couple of pints, maybe three, maybe four, I won't won't admit to more than four, (laughs) um, we're like, well, where do we go? And we bounced off, you know, Saskatoon, um, Halifax, like hockey towns, like what's a hockey town? Where can we explore these issues that would affect all of Canada in the context of a town? And we landed on Peterborough. And Peterborough is home to the Peterborough Peets, mm-hmm. which was once, once one of the greatest um, oh, junior yeah. hockey franchises in the country, in the world. And Peterborough, which as I came to learn over the course of research, is like a bellwether for the rest of Canada. It used to be a place where if, say, you wanted to test market a Timbit that would sell in Moose Jaw, you'd try it in Peterborough. Um, Peterborough 
um, federally, I'm going to get these numbers wrong, but something like 15 of the last 16 federal elections, if you win the seat in Peterborough, you form government in Ottawa. And it's like 18 of the last 19 provincial elections, if you win Peterborough, you form government in Queen's Park. I had no idea. So it was a town that was once a vibrant manufacturing base, mm -hmm. has transitioned off into a service and healthcare economy. Um, it's gotten older. So a lot of it, of what we see in Canada trend-wise, can be found in Peterborough. And it just happened to also be home um, to one of the most storied junior hockey franchises on the planet. I, I assume there was more to it than that, personally. I, honestly. I, Why we picked Peterborough? Yeah, yeah. Uh, beer? Yeah. Well, beer? <laughs> There's good beer. No, be like, the I only? Mean, yeah, like if you're looking to take a, a snapshot of hockey in Canada, yeah. um, you need a proxy because this yeah. is just, just a massive... I mean, we did. Like I... I travel to Saskatoon, uh, Chicago, Montreal, um, every OHL town you can think of just about in Ontario here. Um, there was extensive travel, but like to try and take a step back from a thousand feet and take a look at all of Canada, uh, you needed to go mm -hmm. and narrow focus because you needed, you needed uh, characters, you needed a narrative spine, and, and Peterborough, we felt, was, was the perfect spot for that. Yeah, it makes sense. Well. There's a lot of towns that sort of appear in the book, like Brampton's one of them. Yeah. And it's interesting some of the stories that come out of Brampton. Um, but when, when you were sitting down with your friend uh, in the bar and he says, I want to write about, I want you know, let's write a book about hockey because hockey's changing. What was it about hockey three, four years ago that was changing? We've been talking for years about the price of hockey. Oh, hockey's expensive. Oh, these skates are so expensive. Oh, my God, these sticks. Um, and it's true. Like the, the myth of the $300 stick isn't a myth. Like, I was going to get skate sharpened last week, and, like, I looked at a $320 hockey stick. I didn't touch it. There's no way I'm going to touch <laughs> it. I don't want my fingerprints on it. I can't afford that. But they exist. So we've been talking about these things. You know, the, the, the time commitment. The, oh, my God, it's, it's so expensive. It takes so much. It's such a pain in the butt. Like, for so long, what were the cumulative effects? Hmm. And how is it being reflected? Who is playing hockey? who was able to play hockey, who was interested in hockey, mm -hmm. who could access hockey, all of these things, and just sort of explore it and see where, see where it led us. And what it led us was hockey, I'm going to be melodramatic here just for a minute, but, but hockey is on track without, without help. Um, it's on track to become a niche sport, like Canadian polo. Hmm. Like, so uh, Terry Pekoski, a uh, reporter with the Hamilton Spectator, um, brilliant reporter. And a few years ago, I guess it'd be more than a few now because this was three years ago when I started the research, but she sent away to all of the OHL teams and said, I'm working on a story and I'd like you, I don't want any of the personal information. I just want the postal codes of all the kids on your roster. That's it. I don't, I don't want their addresses, just the postal codes. I think all but three or four or five OHL teams sent, sent it back. She ran that data through the StatsCan database, Statistics Canada. And what she found was, and I'm going to botch these numbers because I haven't committed them to memory, and if I did, it was a long time ago. Um, something like 80% of the kids in the OHL are from urban areas, like city, like centers. Um, the GTA, Ottawa. I was going to say the Lee side. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and of that, another 75% of that 80% are from parts of those towns where the median income is a lot higher than it is elsewhere. So the picture, in short, that you're getting is that the kids who are playing at just a couple steps below the NHL, they're not the kids Tom Cochran sang about in the 80s with Big League. Like, mm -hmm. they're not coming from small mining towns, and, you know, this is the only way out. Like, they're, generally speaking, from well-off families who live in urban centers. Hmm. That, that's interesting, because, I mean, I grew up in Whitby in the 80s, so... So back when it was a small northern mining town. Right, yeah, no, but... Yeah. No, but, yeah, exactly. It was tough on the coal mines back then. Um... No, but, but I went to Henry Street High School in Whitby, which is where all the generals who weren't Catholic, Catholics went to my ex-wife's school. I can't remember. Anyway, it doesn't matter. And uh, anyway, the guys that weren't Catholic went to my school. And so, so I went to school with like Peek and, and Joey and anyway, a bunch of, bunch of guys from back in the day. I love Joey Whitby, but, but there were a lot of guys from all over Canada, like so many guys from Saskatchewan that I went to school with. So to your point, like, I mean, it's, it's, you're right, it's changed today compared to then because then it was good Saskatchewan hay bale and boys. So then you get into the why. Why is that? And you think of, you know, all the Leafs who have their, 
their names up in the band and the rafters at Scotiabank. You think of Gordy Howe, who, you know, legend has it, got his first pair of skates and a rucksack, you know, that his mom bought from a desperate neighbor during the mm-hmm. Depression. Um, that that notion that hockey was for everyone and they could come to Toronto from Rodinaranda and Timmins and all these places. Yeah. So why? Why now? And this is one of the many barriers hockey's allowed to sort of grow up around it that limits accessibility and inclusivity is that I'll just bring it into a, a personal anecdote here that, you know, our eight-year-old, he's in a competitive stream here in Toronto called Select. So you play house league and then on top of that, your best house league players play Select and they travel and across the city, the region, and play other you know competitive stream teams. So you know he's not even in the GTHL yet. He's not even old enough for single A, double A, triple A. Every Wednesday at practice, we have a professional coach who comes and works with our goaltenders on sliding, on positioning, and all that stuff. And then we have at the same practice a professional skills development coach who works with our skaters on inside edge, outside edge, stick handling. Um, all of this stuff. How old are these kids again? They're eight. Eight years old. Um, and this is par for the course. We're not exceptional. We're not exceptional at all. We're not We're not leading the way in this. Um, and we're on the ice. These kids are on the ice five times a week between house league and select. And when they're not doing that, sometimes they'll go and they'll do a week-long camp at Christmas. And in August, I sent, uh, we sent um, our kid to... Uh, camp in Toronto where they were on the ice for five hours a day for five days and in the break when they weren't on the ice they went to a CrossFit gym took an hour for lunch went back on the ice five days 800 bucks eight years old eight years old and these things start at four mm-hmm. four years old so last year I think we I added it up it was something like 5700 to 6000 dollars for our seven-year-old last year next year it goes up and if, if he does continue to grow in the game, um, you know, next year maybe double A could be seven or eight thousand dollars. For kids who go to triple A, you can expect a fifteen thousand dollar buy in just to get in the door. And this is with equipment with the three hundred dollar sticks? I'm not even talking about three hundred dollar sticks. I I mean he is a uh, yeah, no, he has a hundred and twenty dollar stick because I'm one of those idiot parents. <laughs> um <laughs> But he doesn't have a $300 stick. Ah, <laughs> take that. He hasn't earned it yet. Not yet. Um, but like, and I like to consider myself, I mean, I spent three years in this material. I like to think of myself as a rational parent, but it's really easy to get caught up in that wave. And and that drives up the cost. So, so there's one barrier, mm-hmm. right? So we're talking about where the kids are coming from. They're coming from cities. They're coming from families generally of privilege. Mm-hmm. So there's the economic cost. Mm-hmm. Now let's talk about the soft cost tournaments and i think this i think our team did three last year they don't start on saturdays and then sundays they start fridays so do you have the flexibility at work to take friday off do you have the flexibility at work to get your kid to a 5 10 p.m practice on the other side of town he has a game in two weeks at 6 10 p.m on a tuesday um at george bell arena which is in sort of west central toronto we live in the east end that's an hour drive they have to be at the rink an hour before the game so do you have the ability to pick your kid up and take them to hockey basically at the the dismissal bell in the afternoon Mm -hmm. again my wife and i were both journalists we have flexible hours we can work you know at night when we get home um generally speaking unless we're working on a project but we're flexible and we're fortunate that we can afford it and we have that but if you're a doctor if you work on pastry, if you work in shift work, if you're a postal carrier, if you're a, a high school teacher, um, you can't get out at those times. How do you do it? You have to rely on the, the, the good heartedness of your, your teammates, uh, to carpool, all of this stuff. Like It becomes a real obstacle on top of, do you have a car? Do you have the flexibility? Mm-hmm. And do you have the willingness to give up every weekend between mm-hmm. now and spring? Like, and these are just some of them that we're talking about. Like, these are all barriers to entry. And so, and I can't remember whether it was Metro when you were on this morning or not, or if it's something else I read or listened to. On the flip side of that is the excitement of the Raptors and the pickup Mm. of the community in in Toronto around the Raptors. And the kids that are playing b-ball, and is, is, is that... Also, does that also have to do with the, I'll say, lack of cost? Like you can pick up a basketball and go play with your buddies. and We swear on this podcast? Yep. Yeah, totally. Adults can fuck up anything they touch. Yeah. And they're going to fuck up basketball. Um, and here's the thing. Hmm. So <laughs> at competitive levels, 
I'm going to swear one more time, adults fuck up everything they touch. That if you have a child who's in competitive swimming or yeah. competitive dancing, which are both fabulous pursuits because mm -hmm. they get the kids active, teaching them physical literacy, confidence, all of these things that they're going to really benefit from. You're listening to this and you're swearing into your earphones because you're like, you think hockey's expensive? Try going swimming. Try going competitive dance. Like that shit is Skiing. expensive. Hmm? Skiing. Right? Expensive. Yeah. Yeah. So why are we picking on hockey? Well, hockey's on the back of our $5 bill. Those other, those other pursuits are fantastic and I'm not diminishing them at all. But hockey's on the back of our $5 bill. Hockey's, hockey's enshrined as one of the official sports of this country. That's why we're picking on it. And that's mm -hmm. why the accessibility is such an issue. That you know, every time you rule out a Canadian from being able to do this or make it feel like it's not their sport, um, you're opening up them going into any of the other pursuits. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about basketball. Um, yeah, it can be expensive if you get into the competitive stream, um, but it's not just basketball. It's soccer. Mm -hmm. It's cricket. It's not playing sports at all, which is a, a real Even issue worse, across yeah. the board. Yeah. And you play esports or you do other things, um, not being physically active. Um, these are all forces that are working against grassroots sports, not just hockey, mm -hmm. but hockey's part of it. Um, I mean, grassroots, grassroots basketball in this country specifically is a, an interesting one that we're going to see that, I mean, 7.7 .7 million Canadians tuned in to watch the Raptors beat the Golden State Warriors in game six to win the NBA title. And, mm -hmm. you know, somewhere between 1.5 and 3 million people lined that, you know, decades long parade route yep. mm -hmm. um, that the Raptors had. The, the, the interesting thing here is, you know, can you equate the Raptors success with all of a sudden children flooding into basketball? Basketball Canada doesn't have the same infrastructure to take that interest. Mm -hmm. They don't have the teams, the, the ability to track who's playing or what programming is being delivered. They, they don't have the capacity to take all of the interest. And if you sign up for East York basketball this year, you, you might not have, and that's where we live in East York, mm -hmm. you might not have got a spot because they have a limited number of spots and there's no way they accounted for this kind of influx. Mm -hmm. So whether basketball can absorb any of that excess interest, the, the interested hockey players, I mean, this will be a conversation we have in 25 years when we sit down to do this podcast and maybe by then you'll have finished, finished the book. But aren't, we seeing, <laughs> but aren't we seeing that today in the NBA? I mean, we see a, a larger number of Canadians, yes. right? And I, yes. I believe that's You're because of what the I'm saying, are, are, we gonna, the are the Raptors yeah. going to lead to an exponential oh, yeah, okay. explosion? Yeah. I mean, that remains to be seen. Mm -hmm. Certainly, it's undeniable the growth of grassroots basketball mm -hmm. in this country. Um, but, you know, if one takes, a, if A takes away from B, and mm -hmm. that's what we're talking about, yeah. and that we won't know that for quite yeah. some time. Um, but yeah, like hockey, because it's professionalized at the grassroots level, hmm. because the fun is being stripped out of it, it becomes another thing when you're 10 or 11 or 12, 13, I mean, you're starting to get more homework, maybe you have a, a boyfriend or a girlfriend, there's other things in your life. And if hockey's just a thing rather than a passion, hmm. guess what? It's, you can take it off the list. Yeah. And that's what kids do. It's like piano lessons, right? <coughs> I mean, Absolutely. Yeah. You, you talked about how parents mess up anything they get involved in. <laughs> Was that the word I used? Was that, yeah. I think so. Um, <laughs> you, you tell the story of, and, and uh, I hope I pronouncing the name correctly, Eamon Nolan? Eamon Nolan. Eamon Nolan. Tell us about Eamon Nolan. And, and so, I mean, Eamon Nolan, who was a teach, teacher in Brampton, if I'm correct, um, said parents are the problem. Well, he's, um, uh, Eamon Nolan's a, a teacher who used to work at uh, Eastern Commerce which is a, a, was a basketball mm -hmm. powerhouse before it recently closed. But it was also where um, many new Canadians um, were introduced to the high school. Um, and he was a drama teacher. And um, he asked them, you know, at one point, who plays hockey? Nobody raised their hand in his class. And one of the students said, oh, you know, Mr. Nolan, hockey's not for us. He's like, well, what do you mean? Amy Nolan was the son of immigrants. Dad was from Ireland, mom was from Ireland, um, moved here from New York, and he found his way, made his friends through playing ball hockey. Then he played ice hockey. He's a good hockey player. Um, played beer league with him eventually after the story came out, and he, uh, he was still feisty for sure. Um, but so he's like, well, my experience as a new Canadian was through hockey. Why is it any different now? So what he did was he went around to all his beer league buddies, said, give me your old elbow pads, give me your old helmets, give me your old shin pads. He went around to Arena Lost and Found, and he cobbled together as much gear as he could. And he said, all right, uh, we're going to run ice at Ted Reeve. And for an hour before school, once a week, you want to come out and give hockey a try? Come on out and give hockey a try. And they did. 
New Canadians who've never had an opportunity, never had an entry point, never known where to look or even thought about trying it, were out on the ice. And guess what? It was fun. I got to sit on one of them. Like, they're out there for an hour. There's no coaches yelling at them. I mean, there's, there's coaches, you know, from the area who are volunteering their time to teach mm. them how to skate. But they're on the ice. It's fun. Like, here's a hot take. Like, hockey is a fun game. You're out there. You're moving fast. The air is brisk and clear and just you and the puck. And it's something, a movement you don't get to do in everyday life because you're on the ice. It's great. And they were. And they were having a blast. There was a, a kid I spoke with when I was at National Post and I did this story. It's from Nepal. And he hadn't been in the country for very long. But, like, goddamn, he never missed Ted Reeve hockey before school. And he was there, and I was talking to him. Lovely, sweet, smart kid. And but he was kind of talking like this. You know, he's really, you know, kind of mumbling. I'm like, you okay? He's like, well, I put off a dentist appointment until after hockey. Like, I could have seen the dentist early this morning for an emergency appointment, but I didn't want to see them until after I got a chance to play hockey. I didn't want to miss hockey. And as we're talking, I kid you not, one of his front teeth fell off into his hand. <laughs> we're talking. He's like, oh, oh. and his freaking front tooth came right out. So he's talking there with a Bobby Clark smile. <laughs> but hockey was so fun yeah. because he'd been introduced to it that he didn't want to miss it to go see a dentist. Mm. Like, and that's the thing. Like, we've spent however long here shitting on hockey. Um, oh, we're, not, we're not done shitting on hockey. No, the power of hockey, <laughs> we take it for granted if you're in the bubble. Like, it's, it's a community thing. Like, you, you can't just show up to hockey and go right onto the field and play. You got to go in a room, get your gear on. What do you do there? You talk to people. After the game, got to go into a room. What do you do there? Talk to people. It's a community. You play a shitty beer league hockey, you're connecting with people, women, men, coworkers, friends, that you might not otherwise see. I play on a Thursday night team with people I worked with at National Post, and we're scattered like the breeze all over media and, and other industries in Toronto. It's where we get together every week, mm -hmm. and we commune. Um, another anecdote here is that our eldest started grade two last year, and on the first day, there was a little boy on the other side of the room who was in a Vancouver Canucks hat. His family had just moved to Toronto from Vancouver. Didn't know a soul. Didn't know anybody. They're originally from Victoria. Dad works for a company that they hopscotch all over Canada, so Halifax, Calgary. They're in Toronto now. Teacher looks at this kid in the Canucks hat, looks at my kid who's a hockey nut, says, you know what? I'm going to sit you two together. So, again, seven-year-olds are notoriously unreliable journalists. The conversation, I'm told, <laughs> went something like, I like Brock Besser. I like P.K. Subban. I'm playing for the East York Bulldogs. I play for Ted Reed Thunder. Are we best friends now? We're best friends. They're inseparable. So that little boy's dad is part of my Thursday Night Beer League team. Mm -hmm. We get together three weeks ago now. The family's had dinner. The, that little boy has a little sister, and that little sister is now friends with my four-year-old daughter. Like, through nothing more than a connection with hockey, Somebody from Vancouver can come to Ontario, biggest city in Canada, and make friends almost instantaneously through nothing more than the connection through a game. And that happens and repeats itself in towns and cities and schools and churches across Canada every day in ways that we take for granted. But the problem is, because that accessibility and that inclusivity is being restricted, it's not happening nearly as much as it should. Can we talk a little bit more about <clears throat> how it's being restricted? Is it just because... Like you talked about, your son gets to a certain point where, you know, he's 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 better than, you know, half the people on his team. So somebody approaches you and say, okay, now let's get him to play select. And because your son likes hockey, sure, let's do select. Is it, is it because is it that simple that it's exclusive to certain people, or no, or, is, or is there more than that? Okay, so here's an entry level. Are you guys you guys parents? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um. So your kid is five years old, and kid can skate. Um, makes me sometimes wonder if he's my kid, because I sure as hell can't skate. Um, but he can skate, he can play, he loves the game. Um, so you have the opportunity to go from house league, where you play one hour, one game a week, Saturdays, which is like a piano lesson, right? Like one hour a week. Mm -hmm. And they get two practices. So six hours is hockey. That's your hockey per month. So it's a piano lesson, it's something else. Um, but the next level up is select. So what's the choice that you're facing? You can go from six hours to um, select practices two or three times a week and has a game. So all of a sudden, you know, your Saturdays are now a house league game on a Saturday followed by a select practice. And on Sunday, you could have a house league practice and then a select game. 
So on the weekends, Saturday, Sunday, you're booked. And then you have one or two weekday practices. So you have a standing practice. So that's, say, 510 in Scarborough mm -hmm. um, every day, every Wednesday. Um, and then you might add a floating practice where you could practice Monday, Tuesday, or Friday. So all of a sudden, you're looking at your schedule. It's like you're busy. You're fully employed. You've got another kid, maybe. Um, you're like, well, how do we make this work? Like that's that's significant. We're so all busy. It's, so it's like these jumps. Either you either playing. That's it. You're drinking from you're drinking through a straw. You're drinking from the fire hose. Hmm. That's your choice. And there's no sort of. And if you're drinking from the straw, are you yeah. not really building a connection to the game? Because you might only get five hours on the ice. You know what I mean? Like it's and in house league, kids come in, uh, the parents dress them real quick five minutes before the game, and the second the game's over, they rush them out. So there's no, like, kids can go a whole season and not know the names of kids they're playing with. Mm. So you don't have that. It's just another thing. It's not like when we were kids and they had natural ice surfaces. And you go out and, you know, the Rock Carrier hockey sweater thing. You go out and you play until your toes are frozen and then you go in and warm them up and you come back out. It's not like that. Could you take hockey out of the equation? So, you, you know, your son meets someone else because one of them has a Vancouver Canucks hat, somebody else has a, I don't know, Leafs hat or something like that. Can't you take that out and put Raptors hat, Grizzlies hat, whatever? Like hundred percent can. Right? Hundred percent. We're not there yet. Hmm. Like you can say, well, TFC, Vancouver Whitecaps. Well, seventy-two thousand people watch an average game on MLS game. Hmm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. uh, the Raptors had seven point seven million Canadians watching that final. Yeah. That's an all-time record. They set a record. They set a television viewership record for basketball and country in this country with every single game they played in the NBA Finals. Yeah. Every game was a new record. Mm -hmm. That's staggering. Does that push forward? We'll find out. Yeah. But the people in, in I mean, and there were viewing parties in Regina. There were 17,000 people watching at Mosaic Stadium um, for one of those games in the Finals. Like, it's huge. Yeah. I'm not undercutting that deal. It is not hockey yet. 16.5 million Canadians watched Sidney Crosby score the golden goal in 2010. 16.5 million, and that's just the ones that were charted by conventional methods. Like, in sure. crowds, and rooms, like, it could have been 20. It's two-thirds of the friggin' country. So, why does it matter? Like, do we... I know you guys, I could care less if there was hockey. Um, is that I'd why it's taking you so long to read the book? Uh, yeah, I'd probably... Wow. But then again, I'd probably... One, crowd. one of the you first just tell ones... them the second half of the book's about erotica. You can just fly <laughs> oh, through oh, it. Yeah, <laughs> I stopped talking about hockey. It's just erotica. It'll be done before I get <laughs> <Yeah>. home. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but why do we Why do we care? Like, okay, it's on the $5 bill. Okay, it's, it's, a, it's an act of parliament. That's an official sport. But if it goes away, it goes away. There's there's basketball, there's soccer, there's like why do we care so much as Canadians about hockey? You're right. No, you're right. Canada's changing. Yeah. The face of Canada's changing. Um, Toronto's changing. Everything's changing. So it stands to reason that our tastes change. Mm -hmm. Right? Like, you know, we're not watching the same TV shows. Like we don't. We don't have the same old-fashioned clunky clickers. We, we don't consume <laughs> media the same way. So it stands to reason, sure, things will change. What this is and what this project is, before the lights go out, is this is an exploration of what this has meant to us to this point. Mm. That we're, we're 36, 38 million people who think it's perfectly acceptable to look at a map of North America and say, you know what? live in that big frozen half like we're weirdos all of us and i was thinking that today <laughs> right so you know from halifax to nunavut to yellowknife to vancouver to victoria to st john's what do we have that binds us together that makes us canadian right like that mm. we can have in common mm. with each other other than the fact that we all pay taxes and it all goes to the cra and all that stuff i would say universal health care um, complaining about whoever is in Ottawa, it doesn't matter. Um, Tim Hortons, um, hockey. Man. What else? That's so true, isn't it? We don't have a lot of things. Mm. Like the Grey Cup's important, whether or not you give a shit about the Canadian Football League, because for one week a year, and if you ever get a chance to go, whether or not you care about football, I would strongly recommend it. When it comes to Toronto again, when it comes to Hamilton in a couple of years, go. Because you're going to go... And you're going to go to a party which is full of the biggest nerds you're ever going to see. Mm -hmm. But there are nerds. Like they're, they're from Montreal. You're going to see 
somebody in an Alouette's jersey from Montreal, you know, holding up somebody from a Stampeders jersey in Calgary who might be a little tipsy after too many pops. You're going to see somebody in an imaginary Atlantic Schooners jersey talking to somebody in Regina about something because they haven't seen each other in a year. Like, it's a, it's a cavalcade, it's a, it's a conference, a convention of Canadians mm -hmm. that doesn't happen in any other way once a year. And it's so remarkable because it's so special and so meaningful. We have so few things that tie us together. And increasingly so, as we're all siloed off in our own social media silos and as conventional media deteriorates, um, that you have to now go into your, your, your prisms. I mean, we're seeing the downside of that, I think, that maybe we don't want to get into that right here. But <laughs> um, you know what I mean? Yeah. There's so few things that bring us together. Mm -hmm. And how do you quantify what importance it is to bring us together? I mean, I have a ton of anecdotal evidence. A lot of sure. it's in the books. But I would argue that interactions like the one, you know, two boys in grade two had last year are important. That you can go to a place and not know anybody, but you got two kids in hockey, you can talk for hours. And I have. Mm -hmm. Right? Like, if you have that experience of leaning over a railing, drinking shitty arena coffee that's been filtered through a sweat sock, like, and you're watching your kid play, and it's 7 o'clock in the morning on a snowy Sunday, like... That's an experience that is instantly relatable to a ton of Canadians. Yeah. And the thing is, is that when you get out there, it's a great experience. You go to a tournament, you play against other teams, you play, you know, your kids in a hotel, they're on the ice, and every second they're not on the ice, they're in the hotel pool, or playing mini sticks in a conference room. Like, that's something that binds you together. And it also, as a parent, I live in the most populous city in Canada, and it feels like I'm in Norwood, Ontario because I know the butcher, the baker, the candlestick maker in mm -hmm. my region through hockey. That we can go to a park, a mall, a shopping center, anywhere, and we might run into somebody that we know through, through hockey. Mm -hmm. And I think there's value in that. So you think it's worth saving? Yeah, I do. I think and it's good. I, I, think this, I think, though, this might come back to a similar discussion you and I had about the hip. And oh, I don't know, I don't know why. Hip? Yeah. Yeah. Wait, what was this discussion? Read well, me in quick. <laughs> you you, you see you've it. become a fan. I, no, see, I've, I've always been a fan. I just thought, so it was said back when they, when, when, the when was it? The quintessential Canadian moment. Yes, when, when quote-unquote, everybody was watching. Yes. Uh, I cried. The concert. I cried. Yeah. I was in Bob Cajun. I cried. Um, Were you in Bob Cajun? Yeah, for that. They had the whole street oh. shut down. I got goosebumps with, with three of my four kids and my <sighs> wife. It was amazing. Sorry. Yeah. So, are you, was, was the conversation about why does the hip matter? No, it was about no. Was it a quintessential Canadian moment? And the reason where I'm going to go with this is, yeah. Did you get caught up in seeing um, uh, Salt Lake City with with the Olympics and the hockey when they won finally? Yeah. I was under the knife, uh, undergoing liver surgery, so I never did get to watch that game. But did you get? But did you? But my whole family admitted that they were out on the streets high fiving everybody. Yeah. <laughs> But see that to me was the the similar. But see, to your this, point is these the similar are big thing moments, to that. though, right? Like we're we're Toronto, especially is a, is a big moment city, right? We're not going out. We'll go to watch our kids' hockey games, yes. Yep. Um, but we are we really filling arenas for the local hockey teams? Forget about junior hockey. When the worlds come here, we go out for that. We're you know Toronto's a big moment city. We you know we do we really care about your regular junior league. Take a look at the ratings for the Leafs. Like even when they're just dog shit and they have been for everybody at this table, like our lives, except for you, you just said you're 85? <laughs> yeah, 85. 85. Um, getting older as this interview goes on. <laughs> but like <laughs> their ratings are massive. Like people watch, yeah. right? Like it is a thing. I mean, it. they are the biggest What else is there to do in Toronto. But that's the whole point. In winter, when you one can't of the go reasons outside. that hockey became hockey is yeah. it's friggin' cold outside. What are you gonna do? Yeah, it's on a Saturday night. Anywhere. Like, no, no, I know, but I'm yeah, saying when you're cold, like when we all come to together on a Saturday night to watch like, hockey night in Canada, it's like you're getting together with your friends. Like I was saying, my buds would show up with a big bag of chicken and tell me to cook some curry, and away we go. But I mean, even when you're kids, like. What are you going to do when it's cold outside? I mean, in an era before video games, when this all started, yeah, um, yeah. you know, the Rock Carrier, you know, uh, you know, the hockey sweater story where mm -hmm. the little boy in saint just in Quebec uh, wants the Canadians jersey and they send them a Leafs jersey in the mail. And the whole point of that was 
you know, what is hockey in Canada to Canadians? And, and it's the gentle snow falling on mm-hmm. um, the, the backdrop of children's laughter as they skate on a frozen pond. And it's fun. And that's where it comes from. That when it's cold, what are you going to do? Mm-hmm. You're going to play hockey. Because mm-hmm. back then there's no video games. You're not playing soccer in a bubble. You're not playing basketball. You're doing this. Yeah. So that's what's carried over. That's the echo through the generations. That's the bond that grandma and grandson and granddaughter can all get around that TV and do that on a Saturday and play it because that's what we all do. And the problem is, is that because, again, adults have fucked it up, um, it's become professionalized and it's become less attractive mm-hmm. and it's become a game of you got to have money to do it. It's become a game of you got to be super aggressive and you know all this taking your head off. It's become a game where you have to sacrifice and for what? Like you go to a rink and you have coaches and adults yelling at your kids because they're not doing the drill right needs to be fun it needs to be a game now if you want to start talking about the positive side of this and the the potential for saving some of this we can get into that with some of the hockey Canada initiatives and some of the other ways to make it more accessible but you can easily see why over the last 30 years hockey has done this to itself let's talk about some some of that I mean you you talk about the the try hockey program you illustrate that program and um Correct me if I'm wrong, but you know these two gentlemen are literally going all over Ontario, and in they're a pickup no- truck with yeah. a trailer behind. And them. it's like nobody, no one's playing hockey. No one's playing hockey, and it's like they'll play the they'll play ball hockey yep. outside in the streets with a tennis ball or the orange ball. But when it comes to going on the ice with all the equipment and everything, it's like ah, we don't do that. Well, even that, like the the ball hockey thing, isn't it doesn't happen either. Like hmm. they just don't play. Um, so yeah, no, Try Hockey, it was a, a program that's uh, sponsored by ESPN and Hockey Canada, raised through fun, funds raised through the World Junior Tournament here in Toronto. Um, but yeah, so let's let's get into some of the some of the you know the ways that they're trying to address this maybe. Yeah. Um, because registration is stagnating and they acknowledge they're not doing a good job getting into underrepresented communities. So let's talk about fun. Hockey should be fun. Right. Like for kids, especially Mm. shouldn't have eight year olds out there getting yelled at all the time and some kind of 1968 Soviet style drill practice. Um, So how do you make it more fun? What Hockey Canada has done is they've they've developed this program 30 years ago and it's been adopted by USA Hockey. It's been adopted across Scandinavia, but it was never mandated here until two years ago. Mm. And what it is, is called the initiation program. And that means that at the ages of four, five, six. Um, your first strides in minor hockey. You used to play the full sheet of the ice. I mean, you've probably seen it, Timbits hockey. It's you know, it looks like you know, bunch of, bunch of little gnomes sort of toddling all over the place. Um, but what they found is that doesn't work because you're gonna have one kid who can skate faster than everybody else, and nobody else is gonna touch the puck. So what they've done is, at that age group, they divide the ice into thirds. So one, two, three. Three zones on the ice divided into three. And the kids don't play full ice. They play cross ice from sideboard to sideboard. So you have three events going on at once. You have one game at one end, one game at the other end. And in between, you, have, you can get water and work on some skills with coaches. What does this do? A couple things. One, they don't keep score. So parents aren't banging on the glass and yelling at little Johnny or little Jill to shoot the damn puck. Two, um, you can separate the kids. So the kids who have been skating since they were spermatozoa um, can skate and beat the hell out of each other at one end. But kids who are just learning how to skate or how to play can play against each other in the other end. So it's tiered. So it's skill-based versus skill-based. And they're on the ice a ton. So rather than going to a game and playing one of every three shifts, you're on the ice the whole hour. Mm-hmm. Um, and more <laughs> than that, there's no offsides. There's no minimal whistles. And the kids touch the puck more. Like it, it's been documented. There's data to back this up. Mm. That they touch the puck more. They shoot the puck more. Goalies face more saves. The kids have to make more dynamic decisions in real time rather than just skating in a straight line that will help serve them in skill development down the road. But more than anything, it mimics that feeling of being on a pond that we like to, mm-hmm. we like to you know, rhapsodize about. Poetic. Yeah, for sure. um, to get out there and just have fun. So that's up to the, you know, the entry-level age. And then when, as they get older, they play half ice. So they don't play the cross ice, they play half ice. And then eventually, at the age of 9, 10, they go full ice again. So that's one way to reintroduce the concept of 
fun. Mm -hmm. Now, there are other ideas that haven't yet been implemented that we can get into if you want about ways to make it more accessible. What, what's interesting about that, and, and I hadn't realized that in terms of them bringing it into hockey, is it reminds me of the kids at Dieppe Park in, in soccer, right? With East York soccer. I mean, that's what they do. They've been doing that for years since my kids grew up and were playing soccer. They played on, you know... Yeah, smaller nets. Small, and then it gets bigger and bigger. Fields. And yeah, I, I, I feel silly that I didn't even thought of that in terms of for hockey, but it makes total sense. It is silly. And it's it's silly that it wasn't mandated till a couple of years ago. And yeah. here's, you know what here, I don't know if this is silly, but this is bizarre. Um, there are parents who said, you can't tell me what kind of hockey my kid's going to play. So they take their kids to renegade leagues that operate outside the umbrella of Hockey Canada, mm. specifically so their five-year-old can play full ice. They're playing, game, they're playing in leagues that aren't regulated by Hockey Canada in these teams that aren't part of any Hockey Canada league that just play full ice because they think they know best. Because your kid's going to be the next Sidney Crosby or something. Yep. Hmm. Huh. Your book is called Before the Lights Go Out, which seems to me is that you're predicting that the lights are going to go out. And this is what the snapshot looks like just before that. Would that be true? I think there are measures from people who want to save it. And Tom Rennie asked me a good question. Like, what, uh, he's, the, he's an executive at Hockey Canada. And he asked me, what does save look like? What does save mean? Hmm. And it's a good question. What does save mean? I mean, certainly nobody ever wants to go backward. Right? Nobody wants to be like it was in the 50s because the 50s, sure, I mean, you didn't have people emailing you all the time, but... There's also just a lot of overt racism, and that's probably not a place we want to go back yeah. to, right? Like, in terms of an era. Sure. But can we go back to a time when hockey was the every person sport, or hockey was legitimately for everybody? It wasn't just a clever marketing hashtag. Like, hockey is for everyone. Can we go back to that? Where if I'm new to Canada, or if I'm new to the game, I can find my way easily, seamlessly into hockey. And that could be playing at a rink, that could be playing on an outdoor, artificially refrigerated rink, that could be anything, ball hockey leagues, anything. Can we get back to that? I don't know yet, because even if you find a solution, can that solution possibly be implemented across the country? Like, you think of just here in Toronto, you think of the problems implementing solutions at a really cramped downtown rink with no storage versus one of those massive suburban multiplexes, mm -hmm. um, you know, the, the differing populations, all of these things. So, you know, it might not be a case where one solution fits all. But, I mean, there are good ideas out there. It's just a matter of how do you build the political capital and the will to make it happen. It almost seems like we need, like, hundreds if not thousands of Nolans out there that they love the sports and they're willing to take time out of their schedule to go and bug all of their friends for equipment, you know, pony up, you know, 50, 60, 70, 100 bucks for an hour and just, just go have fun and play. You know, we're not expecting to find the next superstar, but just go have fun and play and experience the fun that I had. That's part of it. Um, there's a couple parts here. Uh, one, um, the Phil McKee, who's the head of the Ontario Hockey Federation, which is one of the umbrella organizations that makes up Hockey Canada, had a really interesting idea. Either of you guys play high school football? No. You had, did your schools have high school football? Yep, yep. So when you go into high school and you want to try out for the football team, you don't have your own helmet. You don't have your own shoulder pads. That's right. Everything is the schools. Yeah, Everything's yeah. at the school. And what you do is in grade 9 or 10, or in my case, I think I grade 12, uh, you show up and you're like, I want to play football. And they'll have a coach or a volunteer and say, okay, here's a helmet. No, this one doesn't fit. Okay, here's a helmet. Here's how you put a strap on. Here's, you know, get the chin strap going. Here's how you get the shoulder pads on. Here's your pants. Here's the pads. Here's how they go. Hey, you got your own cleats? Go get them, Tiger. You're a football player. So no cost to me. Mm -hmm. And I can access football and ultimately end up breaking my jaw and look like this. But that's another story. Um, <laughs> so for hockey, why can't you be creative for minor hockey associations across the country. And here's how. That kids have a real annoying habit of growing. Like, it's really annoying. <laughs> like, you get, them, you get them a set of clothes, and all of a sudden, it's like, Christ, they don't fit anymore. It's really annoying. Same thing goes for hockey equipment. That if you're four, five, six, that stuff's not going to last you much longer. Mm. But it also has the benefit that it's not heavily used. Like, it doesn't reek. It hasn't been torn to shreds. Those shin pads are still going to be good for another 10 years. So why not, when your children, who are already in minor hockey, graduate out of their gear, 
do you not donate it back to your minor hockey association? And in exchange for a modest rebate on next year's registration fee or some make good, and allow that minor hockey association to build up an equipment bank where they can then go and advertise in communities, and this feeds into the second part, which will be critical, to say, hey, look, come on out. We'll work on the registration fee, but we will have volunteers here and gear, which is good and, and, and clean and up to snuff and up to code. We will show you how to put the gear on, what gear you need, get you the gear, get you suited up, get you on the ice. And here's the second part. How do you get new people out there? Minor Hockey Association boards are, and I've spent three years talking to people, more than 200 interviews, I think, for this book. Um, they're good people, generally. They're not out there to kill hockey. Quite the contrary. They're out there because they love it. They're volunteers. They're not getting paid. They're your local bus drivers who volunteered. I mean, it's sometimes it feels like 20 hours a day to fielding questions, to setting up registrations, to sorting jerseys, to getting the ice ready, to getting contracts, all of this stuff that they don't nearly get enough credit for. So they're stretched thin as it is, and it's tough to get volunteers because we're all busy people, right? Like everybody's busy, um, but they need to do something else. They need to get representation on these minor hockey associations from communities that are underrepresented mm -hmm. in those cities. Get folks out from, you know, liaise with, you know, in Peterborough, there's a, an organization called the New Canadian Center, which is vital. They're, they're folks who help settle Syrian refugees. They're folks who, if you were born in the UK and you're retiring and you're like, oh my God, I never got my proper paperwork and I need to start collecting my retirement, they'll get you set up. So liaise with groups like that, get people from groups like that on the board who have connections to underrepresented communities and bring them into your tent. And then you'll find that you'll start breaking, breaking down some of those barriers and getting folks who hadn't been in hockey out to hockey and get them on the ice with that equipment. And you know what? Hockey's fun. You get them into the initiation program, you get them on the ice in, in something that, that is just, it is, it is a great way to spend a couple hours on a weekend and just out there having fun. And I think those are two steps that you can take that are low to no cost right now. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Sean, listen, thank you so much for coming in. Yes, thank you. Mm -hmm. Thank you very much for having Appreciate me. Guys. It was awesome. It.